0: As you're seated this morning, Kim. Before we too much movement, can we just sing that one more time? Oh, come, let us adore you. Yeah. Oh, come, yeah. let us adore. Something special happens when we worship, right? It's more than melody, it's more than instrumentation, it's more than production, it's more than good lighting, it's more than just uh, people singing together in harmony. Something very special happens in our midst when we begin to, to, from our souls, from our lives, from our hearts, adore Jesus. Jesus something beautiful and amazing happens. Some of you are going, oh, really? I thought it was just a song. Well, then you haven't felt it. You haven't experienced it because when you have this moment of loving Jesus with all that you are, when you're at his feet as the wise men, bringing your life, bringing your family, bringing all that you have, God gives us this beautiful gift Hopefully you sense the presence of God. Hopefully you sense joy and and love that we have for him. Hopefully you sense a unity and a peace and a joy that we have for one another. I honestly think that is what we're experiencing is is a little bit of, uh, of the peace of God. You know what I'm talking about? We have these things in our lives where there's these little flashes uh, of God's peace. These little flashes, these little moments where it feels like nothing could be better than that moment right there, you know what I mean? Something resonates within our souls It causes us to pause. It causes us to rest and appreciate the moment and the, and the gravity of it. Something God does in us that, that moves us from uh, the mundane to the mysterious Something holy. I believe it's the peace of God. Jewish people, when they greet one another, they say shalom. And when they leave, they say shalom. You know, but it's so much more than just, I hope you have a good day or how are you doing, right? It's so much more even than what we try to translate it into our English word of peace. It's so much more. I want to try and explain what it means to have shalom. You see, shalom literally means completeness. It means soundness. It means well-being or wholeness. It means that there is complete restoration in something that's been broken. Right? So when you have peace or when you have shalom, it means that hopefully there's an end maybe to violence. Maybe there's been war or there's been a fight, or there's been anger. Well, if you have shalom from that moment, then it means that you've been given peace. You've been, the end of violence has come. Maybe you've, and I'm definitely feeling this in this Christmas season, many of you are as well, just weariness. And maybe there's a moment, maybe you're looking forward to that moment, I know I am over the next week, (laughs) of just, you know what I mean? I just wanna, wanna pause. I want sanity and, and, and rest back just for a few moments or a few days just to pause, rest from weariness. Shalom can be comfort from mental or financial or relational stress or some kind of anxiety when it feels like everything is back to where it needs to be. Lori and I call it back to Zero. Right, when things aren't great in your marriage or great at work or great with your kids and, and God in his grace gives you shalom, it feels like, oh, things are better. Right? God gives us shalom in the middle of despair, in the middle of mourning. It's the ability to hope beyond this moment, beyond what I can see right now. That's Shalom. Another word for um, shalom is to flourish. We don't use that word a whole lot, flourishing. Uh, I want to get into that a little bit. But I want to kind of explain some, some moments of flourishing that I have. When I think about flourishing, I think of some places. I think about the Garden of Eden. I think about Adam and Eve, and, and they were living in a flourishing reality. Their relationship with one another was flourishing. Flourishing. Their communication was amazing. Their intimacy was incredible. Their connection to God was unbelievable. Everything about Adam and Eve, everything about the garden, everything about their work, everything about everything was flourishing. It was amazing. It was perfect. I think about heaven, because at some point, right, we, we get to celebrate this amazing place called heaven, and in heaven, relationships will flourish, and our work will flourish, and our worship will flourish, and everything will be amazing. It will be the definition of Shalom. You know, I think God gives us, I mentioned this a minute ago, these little glimpses, these little flashes of Shalom. I want to give you some examples, because I want you to think about them, and I want you to kind of go there this morning. I love coffee. Every single morning, I grind beans. So I have this routine. It's the first thing I do in the morning, I go and I grind beans in my little grinder, and I put them in a French press. And then I pour the water over the beans. I love the whole process. It's just, it takes longer, I know, whatever. But it, it's, it's awesome. And the coffee's so much better. But anyway, you pour the water over the beans and then you have to let it steep, you stir. And then you, I, I make the coffee for my wife and over the years her coffee order has got exceedingly more difficult. Can I just say? I mean, I've got all this junk finished with whipped cream, by the way. So I finished her coffee every single morning and I take it to her, and I enjoy doing that, but my favorite thing is when she has a few moments to sit with me, and I sit in my chair, and she sits here on the couch, and everything is right with the world, and I can, we can just stop, and I've gotten to this place where when that coffee touches my lips, and I like it burning hot, I want it to, to, to hurt me, and, uh, and I taste it, and I, I, everything just, I, I can silence everything. And my kids getting ready and blow dryers and things going, I can just silence everything, and I can just put that coffee to my lips. And in that moment, I can just pause. And I've, I've learned to say, Lord, thank you for this morning, thank you for this day, thank you for this coffee. And it's kind of just my moment of just peace. It's like a little glimpse of shalom. I get to talk with my wife, we get to share, and she's enjoying her coffee. And it's one of my favorite things in life. We love to go to the beach. And when we go to the beach, there's moments uh, at the beach, no kidding. You know, I'm you already know I'm an emotional guy, but we go to the beach and we will be laying at the beach, and I've watched my kids grow up at different times at the beach, and and now they're pretty self-you know, contained, doing their thing, playing or whatever. And maybe they're asleep or whatever the case may be, but I'm sitting there in my chair and I put my headphones in and I put some worship music on. And this happens, this is every year. At some point, by God's grace, I pray he continues to give me these moments. But at some point I'm listening to worship music, I'm looking at my beautiful children, my beautiful wife, I'm looking at the ocean, the sounds of the waves coming in and the wind, and I just begin to weep every year. There's something unbelievable about the beauty of that place and about the beauty of that moment. And I just, I try to hang on to it for a second. And I try to let it affect me down to my core. And I try to let that shalom be my reality just for a moment. I think moments of worship can be moments of shalom. I wasn't expecting it this morning singing, and my hands are raised, and, and the team was singing a song I didn't know, so I wasn't singing it. I'm looking at the words, and it's beautiful. I'm letting it wash over me. And uh, I like to sing, and I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty early adopter to sing songs, right? But evidently not as early as my dad. Because I'm not singing, and I'm holding my hands up, and my dad's singing the song I don't know from behind me. And I didn't realize my dad would be leading me in worship this morning, singing the song he didn't know but he sings out in worship. And that was a little bit of shalom. A couple of days ago, my daughter was in a choir program. She sat at the side, and there's a whole choir up there. Um, but it wasn't Daisy, it was Jovi. <laughs> but Jovi was sitting at the side over here, and I, I just found myself just smiling at her and looking at her so in love with her, so proud of her, so thankful for her. And there's these moments when I look at my family and I just just feel this shalom, this unbelievable beauty and gratefulness to the Lord that he's given me, my family. There's moments of satisfaction and contentment where I'm not worried about how much money I make or or my job or my uh, future. And I've stopped striving just for a few moments, and I can just be content in what God has done and is doing. And I feel a little bit of shalom. There's moments, even this year, that have been so powerful as we have grieved the loss of my mom. Of God's shalom. My dad gave me a heads up that the card was coming. <laughs> And I appreciate the heads up. But my mom, in her Alzheimer's, she, the last few years, she'd write more than one card for Christmas to each child. And my dad had the the wherewithal to, to watch this and notice this, and he grabbed the cards that were extra. And he sent me a card this Christmas from my mom. Again, thanks for the warning, Dad. Um. That was a moment of shalom. It was a moment of remembering. Now I wasn't sad. I looked at the card and I I can't tell you how many times I rubbed my fingers over the lettering that she wrote. Just to see if I could feel where she wrote. We hope you have a wonderful Christmas. We love you, mom and dad. But I can't tell you how much joy that gave me, that card gave me. We have these moments. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you resonating with me? You're holding a little bit of shalom right there, right? There's these moments where it seems like life couldn't be better. Like your heart couldn't be more full. You don't deserve any of it. And yet God in his goodness and his kindness and his grace has given you something. And you just try to hold on to it. Even as fleeting as it may be. God gives us hope in the middle of the chaos of our lives. You know, I was working on this message this week. It was on Tuesday. And I had a splitting headache. And I didn't want to work on this because I had a splitting headache. And the Lord said, find some shalom. And this is what I mean. In the brokenness of our lives, in the middle of headaches, in the middle of cancer, In the middle of marital difficulties, in the middle of financial difficulties, in the middle of questions, in the middle of the junk of our lives, Jesus came to be born among the brokenness. He is God with us in the mess. And it was this perfect, beautiful moment where the Lord said to me, I know you got a headache, but I'm with you. And I smiled and I kept working, I kept pushing through, and I couldn't help but think about I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of these families, and there's some in Brazil, there's some in in Africa, there's different countries, and especially third world nations, I've seen it in Haiti, where there are whole families, there are whole groups of people, whole communities that make their living, They, they get their food, their sustenance from a trash heap. Have you seen that? Talk about humbling. Talk about something that will make you grateful for leftovers, When you realize there are people that make their whole life around a trash dump with their kids picking through to find copper and little pieces of metal and any kind of food that they can live off of. God gives us these moments of gratefulness, these moments of awareness that even in our brokenness, that even in what we don't understand, the questions, He's with us. And He calls our hearts and our souls From the mundane, from the broken places, to the glory of who he is, that's shalom. My favorite movie of all time is a movie by the name of Shawshank Redemption. It's a good movie. It's a little rough in places, but the main character, Andy Dufresne, uh, there's a moment that I want to tell you about. Andy is... um, he's in the warden's office. He's in prison, and he has been charged with murder, even though he didn't do it. And so he's uh, he's been framed, in essence. And he's in the warden's office, and he walks over and he sees, uh, he works for the warden, he walks over and he sees a record player. And he looks around and finds some records, and he finds a record that's of an Italian aria, and he he sees it and it takes him back to his love for music and he he pulls the record out and he puts it on the record player and they begin to sing this Italian aria it's beautiful and you can see him just trying to take the moment in right and then he realizes wait I, I don't have to just uh, keep this to myself I can share the beautiful moment I can share the transcendence of what I'm feeling with all these prisoners so he goes and he he locks the doors He he, he puts the loudspeaker on and the aria begins to play over the loudspeakers. And from a prison yard, prisoners raise their eyes and their heads from the brokenness of their horrible situation to hope. That's what God does in us. And I'd like to explain it more, but instead I decided just to show it to you. Let's watch this real quick. prisoners. You get that? I love the shot that comes up and just shows the prisoners just looking up. It's like, this is us. This is the brokenness of our world. And yet, shalom calls to us, calls to remind us of what really matters. That's what shalom is. It's giving us this sense of of hope and peace and joy, even in the middle of Everything that may seem broken. Look at uh, Colossians 1.20 this morning. I want to read it first of all in the message. It will be on the screen if you don't have that version with you. It says, All the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, Jesus' death, his blood that poured down from the cross, That's shalom. When God makes all things right. Friends, can I tell you that's what Christmas is about? It's so easy to get caught up in all the convoluted mess of the commerce of Christmas. But let's not miss this beautiful story. And to get there, I want to go back to the Christmas story. If you have your Bibles, chapter 2 of Luke, I want us to take a look. Last week we looked at one of the announcements of the angels. I want us to look at the other announcement of the angels today, but I thought, you know, let me give context. It won't hurt us to read the whole Christmas story. Luke 2, verses 1 through 14. It says, in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, uh, that all the world should be registered, that And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and uh, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's the first announcement, right? We talked about it last week. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Pray with me, would you, just quickly for a moment. Father, we love you. God, thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you for this amazing season, and thank you for moments of flourishing, moments of shalom. I pray, God, that you would lead us to many of those over this next week. and Remind us of the true meaning of this season, that only Jesus gives peace. God, I pray that as we look at your word now, that you would lead us to all truth, help us to understand it, to be challenged by it, have the courage to live as a result for you. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that you would, you would increase in this time and I would decrease. That you would use your word, Lord, to change us as a result of being with you and your people in your precious name. Amen. A couple of things I want to I want to break down about this passage. Number one, Luke is first of all saying this is a real thing that happened, right? This really happened. This is a real event. It happened in history, and let me show you why. One of the reasons is he, he mentions historical figures. In other words, we can go back to a moment in time. He talks about Caesar Augustus. He talks about Governor Quirinius, right? He mentions a time of year, and for Many centuries, they would, they would maybe be able to look back and just go, oh, yeah, we know the time of year, the time of registration. So he's mentioning a time of year. Historical figures, a time of year. He's mentioning cultural context, that in that culture, you had to, at that time of year, register within uh, the place of your birth, the town of your family. Which also brings me to the next piece that, that Luke is trying to show us, and that is there's prophetic significance to this story. See, Joseph goes to Bethlehem because he is of the line and lineage of David. And the prophecy of the Old Testament is that the Messiah would come through the line and lineage of who? David. Right? So there's a purpose to this. Right? There's this uh, historical aspect of the historical figures, the time of year, cultural context, and prophetic significance. But then Luke also just gives us the specifics of a very humble story. I mean, look how humble... This is Mary's ready to give birth to her first son. Of course, we know the story. There's no room in the inn. And so Mary and Joseph find themselves in a cave full of sheep and the stuff that sheep do and eat. It's not a pretty place. It's a gross place. And yet this is where the Savior of the world is going to be born. And she lays him in anything she can find, a manger that's full of hay. When we say manger... It's easy for us to think, oh, that's where Jesus lay, right? But in the moment, she's like, we're going to put this baby. This is a place where sheep get their hay, and I'm just going to lay them in here, right? It's now become part of the Christmas story, but it was literally just used to feed sheep. So humble. So simple. Simple. So Luke has established a real story with real people and a real place in a specific time in history because it really happened. A humble story of simplicity and yet this king has no luxury. Right? Every king that's born to any kingdom around the world is born behind great walls, great military and the mother of that child would have a, a staff of medical people not the king of the world. Not the Savior of the world. He's born in a sheep's cave or sheep's barn. But I want you to notice something that's being communicated here, and I'm so thankful for Luke capturing these details. What's being communicated in this field, even as the the shepherds are are spoken to by the angels in this announcement, is that, we said this last week, these shepherds are the lowest of society. They're dirty people because they live outside. They're just Bedouins. They move from place to place. Many of them were thieves. They were looked down upon. And yet that's who God says, this is who I want you to make the announcement of, the king of the world. And then notice this. Jesus born in a cave, in a barn with hay in a field. In other words, anybody can walk up on the savior of the world. In other words, Anybody can come to Jesus. I give you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All can come. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue comes to this Savior. It's the greatest news mankind has ever heard. The angel tells the shepherds that they'll find the Messiah, the anointed one right, in a manger. He said, you'll see a sign. In other words, if you find a baby in a sheep's barn, that's the Messiah because babies aren't born in those places, right? You don't go, hey, we're going to have a baby. Where's the closest barn? Where's the closest cave where there's a bunch of sheep and manure? No, not the best place to have a baby. And so this is the sign. When you see a baby in a place like that, that's the Messiah. So they, they come But right after this announcement, the the text tells us there's a single angel giving this first part of the announcement. And then, I don't know if it's behind him, around him, I don't know if it's back in the sky, I don't know, but it says a multitude of angels appears. Almost like, I think of stage lighting, almost like the lighting just appears on this great cloud of witnesses, this great group of angels, the heavenly host. And I want us to, to look at what they have to say this morning. Verse 14, it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So there's two important realities of this announcement this morning. Number one, glory to God in the highest. That's the first one. Isn't that interesting? This announcement of the savior of the world and and they don't get right to the announcement of the savior of the world, right? They're like, they're saying glory to God in the highest is the first thing the crowd says of, of angels. And the reason they say that is because God has been faithful to accomplish his promise. John tells us in Revelation that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the world, right? Remember that? The Lamb of God, Jesus, was slain before the foundations of the world. What that means is God had a redemptive plan to save a people he hadn't created yet. Go with me for a minute. God had a plan as sovereign as he is. And now the angels see the plan coming to fruition. And they're going, glory to God in the highest. He keeps his word. God is faithful in all that he does. He's the only one who receives glory. He's, he's in the highest heaven. That's what that means. Glory to God in the highest. He is the most holy. There is none beside him. He deserves all of the glory because this is the God who so loved these humans that he would send his only son to die for them. Glory to God. He receives glory. I, I like the way Paul says to Titus in chapter three, verse four, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. There's a beautiful moment with Jesus just before he's arrested, John 17 where he he turns his attention from his disciples to his Father, and he begins to pray this beautiful prayer. And I want you to see what part of the focus of his prayer is. He says, John 17, 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. This is just before he's arrested and crucified. What I want you to see is that in Jesus' birth, the angels give glory to God, and in Jesus' death, he wants to give glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. Second message of the angels is this. Peace on earth with whom he is well pleased, right? Peace on earth with whom he is pleased. Now, I don't know about you, but at this time of year, in Christmas cards and all these places... Really, what we hear is, glory to God, peace on earth. Right? There's <laughs> peace on earth. And I have to say, because Jesus has come, amazing things have, ha- have happened. The world has changed from Jesus uh, coming to the world, He's changed His people. The light of, of the Lord has come into the darkness of our world. The, the Christmas song says, and a weary world rejoices. And it does. People who know Jesus have made this world a better place. You know, when you study theology, there's a a term in theology called uh, common grace. The Bible uses a verse to explain it a little bit when it says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In other words, the rain falls on people who know and love Jesus, and the rain falls on people who don't know and love Jesus. It's a blessing to those who don't know Jesus. It's a common grace. It's, it, it's a good thing. So since Jesus has come, he's changed the lives of people. Amazing things have happened in our world. Do you realize we wouldn't have hospitals, orphanages, feeding programs, libraries, universities, that there's aspects of our government, science, art, architecture, music, and many other things that have been formed by the systems we see in the Bible, by God's creation or God's people, It's all been informed by God and Jesus coming to this world. But the reality of this statement by the angels is that we have to finish the statement. (laughs) It's not just peace on earth. It's not just a common grace. Oh, everything's perfect now. No, there's peace on earth with whom he is pleased. Right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So who is he pleased with? I hope it's me. I hope it's you, right? Who is is the Lord pleased with? Well, I want you to know when we look at this, the word shalom that is used here uh, on earth, shalom, among those with whom he is pleased, is synonymous with the word salvation. God is pleased with people who know him. God is pleased with people who have been saved and changed by his grace. If you know the Messiah, if you you believe in him, this Savior who is the Christ, which is the Greek word for anointed one or Messiah, you believe in him, he's changed your life, then God is pleased with you. Jesus has restored, remember I talked about shalom, the meaning of shalom is restoring something that has been broken and bringing it back to completeness, to wholeness. That is what Jesus has done on the cross. He took a broken relationship that mankind had with himself. He sends Jesus to bring peace, to bring shalom, and he restores a broken relationship with himself. I want to go back to Colossians 1.20, but this time I want to look at the ESV. It says, and through him... He reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's what Jesus has done. Jesus has brought shalom. He's brought reconciliation. He's brought restoration of a broken relationship by the blood of his cross. I think we also have to notice that the angel, when he makes this announcement, he says that Jesus is both uh, a savior... Born Christ, the Lord. Notice that? Christ, Messiah, the Lord. Master. See, Jesus is not just Savior sometimes in our lives, and then later on we hope we can make him Lord. No, he's Savior and Lord. At his birth, at his death, at his resurrection in our lives. There's no uh, dichotomy there. Here's the big question. How do you please God? I just have to pray a prayer, because I did that at camp 10 years ago, so I must be good, right? Now, how do you you please God? Look with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the first thing we have to see is if we're going to please God... We have to have what? Faith. We will not please God without faith. Do you have faith? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe that He came to this earth to bring peace, to to restore this broken relationship that God had with mankind? Do you have that faith? Because it's impossible to please Him, to have His peace apart from having faith. We got to have faith. I love the story. Uh, of, of Jesus in John chapter 6. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And, of course, the people are incredibly impressed. The, the, the Bible tells us 5,000, but that's men. So it could have been ten or 12,000 people in total. And they're so impressed that they're wanting to follow Jesus. And so Jesus gets on a boat and he goes to Peter's hometown, Capernaum. And these, some of the people jump in boats and they follow him to Capernaum. Jesus sees him and he says, what are you guys doing here? Jesus literally says to him, you just want some more food. And then he says to him, don't work for food that will perish. He said, work for food that that will last for all eternity. And what Jesus was trying to say is, I'm the bread of life. If you know me, if you believe in me, then you will be satisfied forever in me. And then the people ask Jesus this question, John 6, 28. They say, well, then what must we do to be doing the works of God? He said, "Don't, don't work for bread that perishes. What do we must do for the works of God? And Jesus' answer is this. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. He wants us to believe. Who will receive this peace that Jesus has brought to the earth? Those who have faith in him. Those who believe in him. And if we believe, if we know him as our Savior, he truly brings peace. 700 years before his birth, Isaiah makes a prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6. I love this verse, especially at this time of year. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That just means he's in charge of everything. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what Jesus does. That's who he is. He's the Prince of Peace. 500 years before Jesus' birth, Zechariah makes a prophecy that you'll be familiar with. Something we talk about a lot around Palm Sunday and Easter. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion shout aloud o daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation as he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey right palm sunday we talk about this at palm sunday this is when the, the Jesus sends the disciples ahead and they get the foal of a donkey and Jesus rides on that donkey from Bethany down to Jerusalem Remember? And the people are laying down palm branches and they're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And see, their hope in that moment is that Jesus is Messiah, the the one who's going to revolt against the Romans. He's going to war against the Romans and we're finally going to get Jerusalem back. So he's our king. Did they not read the rest of Zechariah's prophecy? Because that's not at all why Jesus came. Zechariah says in verse 10 of chapter 9, the Lord says through him, I will cut off the chariot. The chariot is a, uh, an implement of war. It's a powerful machine that gives uh, higher ground and dominance over someone in battle. He says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. Right? These are all instruments of war. And he, Jesus, shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus is not that revolutionary that's going to fight against Rome, those chants of Hosanna in the highest turn to crucify, crucify. Because he didn't come to bring war, he came to bring peace. See, the world is full of noise, it's full of violence, it's full of chaos and brokenness and all of us know it all too well. But for those of us who know Jesus, for those of us who have faith, who believe, then we have been given this unbelievable gift of a restored relationship to God. We have been given this opportunity, we talked a little bit about it last week, that when we know Jesus, he, he begins to grow these qualities in our lives. Love, joy, we talked about last week. The very next one is peace. God begins to, not only has he come to, to make peace with us and God, but he comes to create peace in us. To be instruments of peace. And we can offer this peace to the world. Listen, I... I I know that this time of year is not easy for a lot of people. I know that this time of year there's a lot of brokenness. I know that there's a lot of disappointment, loneliness, sadness. And I love the fact that Paul says in Philippians 4 6 don't be anxious about anything. Some of you are anxious this morning. Maybe it's a relationship, it's finances, job, future. Maybe it's your spiritual life and you know it's not exactly what God wants it to be. You're anxious. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I love that. Well, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that you can't even understand how it works. You can't even understand how he gives it to us. But this is exactly what Jesus has given to us to guard our hearts and our minds. Jesus says to his disciples, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you not as the world gives, not as your family gives, not as your uh, income gives, not as security of things in your life give. I give you my peace, not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then he says in John 16, I've said these things to you, that in me, the prince of peace, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that good to know? How do you have shalom in the middle of a prison yard? How do you have shalom in the middle of a terminal cancer diagnosis? How in the world are you going to have shalom when your marriage is on the rocks? See, the beauty of Emmanuel, God with us, is that he comes to be with you in those places, in that brokenness. And it's a mystery that my mind and your mind, we can't completely understand, but it guards our hearts. And it's Jesus himself who gives us peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. He's overcome the world. And can I just tell you this as we close this morning? I don't know if you know Jesus or not. Maybe you're here today with a friend. Maybe you've never truly trusted Jesus to be your Savior. But can I just tell you the truth of the story of Christmas in Luke chapter 2? You can't have peace without Jesus. You can't have it. Peace on earth with whom his favor rests, whom he has pleased. And God is pleased with those of us who have faith, who believe. My hope for you this morning is that you would trust him. That you begin to move in this direction of hope and flourishing and peace. For the rest of us, I want to give us one last thought. Because I know it's very possible and and probably uh, not just possible, but probably reality for many of us today, that your hearts are troubled. That there is something in your life. That is a wound or a concern. I just want to encourage you. Jesus says to don't, not to allow it, but to trust. I love the way Isaiah says this. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You know, in the Hebrew, this says, you keep him in shalom, shalom. The word for perfect in the Hebrew is shalom. Because shalom is perfection. It's when everything's right. And any time a writer of antiquity like this writes something and and emphasizes it by saying it twice, shalom, shalom. Shalom. It means that he wants you to think about it that much deeper. It's that much more significant. God wants to give you shalom, shalom, peace, perfect peace, the greatest peace. And the way to do that, we have to keep our minds on Christ. We have to trust him with all that we are. But this is what the, the world gives us. The peace the world gives says, put your trust in something else, someone else, something else. And the only way to have true and lasting peace, the peace of Jesus, is to place our minds on him. And when we do, he gives us perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. My prayer for us this morning is that he would give us this week. Maybe it's today. Maybe you get a day off. Maybe it's Christmas Day. I don't know. Maybe it's next Sunday when you're worshiping with your family in your home. I pray that is a moment of shalom please do this. Don't just let it pass. We're not going to church. No, you are the church. Have it. Do it. Be intentional. And I promise, if you will enter in, if you will draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you, and you will have a moment of perfect peace. And it'll be something you remember for the rest of your life. Your kids will remember, that was amazing. My prayer for us this morning and for the rest of this week and for this Christmas season is that we would have these moments of shalom. I pray for moments with your family. I pray for moments of good coffee. I pray for moments of good memories. I pray for moments of worship. I pray for moments with Jesus that change your heart. That you enter into this space intentionally to say, God, I'm trusting you the Prince of Peace, to meet me at every place of need that I have. And watch what he does, because he is an everlasting rock. He is to be trusted. Amen? Pray with me this morning. Father, God, we love you so very much. We're so grateful for your kindness. We're so grateful for this beautiful story of redemption that you would send Jesus to reconcile this broken relationship that we had with you. Lord, we sinned, we were separated from you, and Jesus came to bring shalom. He came to bring restoration. He came to bring peace. He came to make everything right. And Lord, you're so good that even in our brokenness in the middle of the prison we live in called earth, still surrounded by sin, still surrounded by um, unmet desires and fears and struggles and pain and mourning and loss and devastating injury. You call us to your glory to stop, to be still and know that you are God. You call us to look up you call us to listen, to worship, to remember what you've done for us in Jesus. God, thank you for sending Jesus to this earth to save us, to give us hope. One day, Lord, we will have perfect peace. One day we will have everything in glory the way you designed it from the beginning, God. One day you will recreate a new heaven and a new earth, and we will live in shalom. And God, by your grace and your mercy, give us little flashes today and tomorrow and this week. Reminders that you are with us, that you love us, that we can have your peace even in this place even in these moments of trial all because of Jesus God I'm so grateful for the promise that you've given us that you will one day make it all right every wrong thing you'll make right every broken thing you will heal God we just pray that you would give us the faith to trust you to know you if there's one person here today, God, that doesn't know you, I pray that they would come to me, one of our elders, one of our worship leaders, and just want to know how to find you, Jesus, for that peace that passes all understanding. And God, if there's any believers in this place today, and I believe there are, they're wrestling with mourning of the loss of a loved one, they're, they're struggling with a job they hate, they're dealing with coworkers they don't know how to respond to, they're They're struggling with the bonus they didn't get and how they're going to make to the end of the month. God, there's all these issues of life. Help them just to deep breathe in this moment your grace and breathe out your praise because you have not left us. You are God with us, and you give us peace. It's in your precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen.